0: Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're king. We thank you for Andrew and Pastor Andrew's giving us your word in the way that he digs deep to find what you're saying to him, to us, in your word. Lord, we we just want to listen deeply. So we pray for us that you would help us to listen deeply to what you have to say to us today. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Well, I'm uh, Pastor Andrew, the associate pastor here, and uh, this morning we are going to um, we are going to jump into a message. This message is called "The Just King Is Here," so uh, perfectly uh, goes together with the song that Annette Miss Annette just led us in. Uh, so this year, uh, twenty twenty, has been a year. Or every year we have a theme, and this year our theme has been the year of the just king. Uh, last year, we spent uh, our time talking about what, what does justice actually mean? Our theme that year was living justice, and we were trying to figure out what is justice. It's become a buzzword, uh, and it's very popular out in the culture today, and so, <clears throat> uh, you know, everyone wonders what does it actually mean, and especially what does it actually mean according to scripture? It's a very important word in scripture. If you read any part of scripture you you realize uh, the word comes up a lot. Uh, But now it's this buzzword out there, so what on earth do we do with that? Uh, And so we spent the year trying to figure out what is actual biblical justice. And uh, what we've come to this year is that it's all centered around, uh, and what makes it different from the justice, the buzzword justice out in our culture today is that it's all centered around this king. It's centered around a just king. That's That's the key critical difference between uh, biblical justice and the justice that gets talked about in out in the world so what pastor steve has been doing these last uh, couple months since the year began is he's been taking us through scripture tracing the theme of the just king so very brief review um we've been waiting for a just king all throughout scripture uh if, if you if you've been reading through scripture you'll you'll notice there's this theme that keeps coming back uh go back to, way back to abraham uh among the promises God gives him is that kings would come from him Abraham doesn't know what that means but there's the promise uh, fast forward several hundred years to Moses and uh, God gives Moses instructions for when you do have a just king this is how you're this is how you're supposed to appoint him you're supposed to appoint the one that God chooses uh, so it looks like we're on track we're getting closer to this just king idea then it kind of looks like we're going to have a just king, but it's also sort of a step backwards. We've got King Saul, and uh, in that situation, the, the people were very impatient ab- about this king. They wanted this just king. They wanted a king that looked that made them like the nations around them, so they begged the prophet at the time, Samuel, please give us a king, and, and God considered that a rejection of himself as the king because... Uh, even though the people of Israel were supposed to know this, what they didn't really get was that God himself was their king the whole time. And uh, Pastor Steve keeps reminding us of that as he's been uh, preaching these last months. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it's sort of a rebuke to this request. Um, Samuel raises up the uh, Saul. Saul is a terrible king. And it looks like they've taken a step backwards instead of forwards to this just king. But then God, in his gracious mercy, comes in, redeems it. Uh, he sets up King David. Uh, though David had his own failings and uh, troubles, David still uh, was uh, kind of the closest example they'd had so far of a just king. And, uh, and, and he's a man after God's own heart. And so it, it kind of looks like, wow, we're, we're, this is kind of the fulfillment of this promise of a just king. Uh, and, and God even says to David that there's one of your descendants is always going to be on the throne, um, and I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. And then it, at the beginning of his son's reign, King Solomon comes to power, and King Solomon uh, looks like just the picture of the just king. He's wise, he's merciful, he's uh, authoritative, he's, everything prospers under him. It looks like it's the beginning of the just reign, but then Solomon messes up big time. And uh, as a a rebuke to that, as a punishment for that, God tears apart the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, Israel becomes divided, and uh, the northern ten tribes are in rebellion against the house of David. David's descendants only rule over the little tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and then there were some other uh, uh, people from the various tribes that immigrated uh, there, and, uh, and so from that point on, we call the people of Judah Jews. That's where we get the name Jew uh, from, uh, the, from the, little, the little tiny kingdom of Judah. Um, and so the division goes on. But those northern kings are terrible. The northern kings um, lead the people into uh, idolatry. They lead them into sin. And because of that, eventually in the year 722, uh, the mighty empire of Assyria comes and obliterates them completely. Uh, The few survivors that are left intermarry with um, uh, other people. And and Israel, as a distinct culture, as a distinct distinct ethnicity, disappears off the face of the earth. And all we've got left is this little tiny uh, kingdom in the south of Judah. And uh, they had a few decent kings, not great kings, but a few decent ones. So they last a little bit longer. But then finally, in the year 586, because of their sins, uh, God raises up the mighty empire of Babylon, uh, and they come and uh, cart them off uh, as captives in exile to uh, Babylon, and there they remain. There they remained for seventy years. They got to come back, but they never. From that point on, they, they they never got to be an independent kingdom. They were always ruled by foreigners, whether it was Persia or the Greeks or eventually the Romans. Uh, they, they there, there was a king, King Herod, but he wasn't even a Jew. He was a foreigner. He was from Idumea, a, king, a neighboring uh, territory. And so it looked like for a long time they were on track to this just king, and then everything kind of falls apart. And I want you to imagine if you had been one of the people who had put your hope in a, the coming of a just king and Generation after generation, decade after ge- decade, lifetime after lifetime, century after century, the picture just gets worse and worse. It looks like, as time goes on, that uh, you're getting not closer to the just king, you're getting further away from the just king. And from the time of the exile on, then there's these this year, this 400 years that uh, the prophet uh, Amos says he calls it the famine for hearing the word of the Lord. There is no there's no prophet. There's no message from God, and for 400 years, as they're dominated by foreign powers, there doesn't appear to be any prospects, any signs of the just king coming any time soon. But then, bursting in on this scene, the scene of foreign domination and foreign oppression, suddenly comes this weird guy with long hair, doesn't take a bath very often, but he makes everybody else take a bath. He wears camel leather. Uh, he eats crickets, kick crickets dipped in honey. And uh, he shows up, his name's John the Baptist, and he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. So, for the first time in hundreds and hundreds of years, this crazy guy shows up and says the kingdom of God is here. So, forgive the Jews for being a little bit cynical about that message. Well, Within months of this crazy guy, an even crazier guy steps on the scene, and the first crazy guy says, this guy's even more important than me. He's he's the one I'm talking about. And that crazy guy says, the, ki- the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And so here's the second crazy guy, guys. i know who I'm talking about. It's Jesus. <clears throat> he, uh, the just king is finally here. And, uh, of course, it was greeted with some cynicism. As I said, they've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years and no sign. In fact, all the signs looked like they were going in the, in the wrong direction. But Jesus shows up and says, I'm, I'm, I'm that just king. I'm here. And, uh, you know, if, if we if we look through the Gospels, we will notice that they've been written very carefully to prove that he really is the just king. Uh, Jesus's miracles proved that he is the just King. Um, these aren't all of his miracles. I've listed out in these scriptures. Uh, these are just these are just the points in Scripture where it makes clear where God makes a connection. He draws a connection. The the, the gospel writer draws a connection between Jesus's miracles as proof of Jesus's kingship. All right. Uh, th- there, there's uh, points here where Jesus makes a wherever there's a little star. Uh, if you write these down. Um, wherever there's a star, that's that's where Jesus says that his authority to cause miracles is proof of his kingship. Um, and uh, and then Jesus's good life and his good works also, he claims, prove that he is this just king. And Jesus's teaching proved that he is the just king. Moses had prophesied, that there would be a prophet coming later who was going to have the same level of authority as he did, and uh, and Jesus uh, is claiming that that he is that prophet who has that same level of authority uh, that Jesus did. And again, these aren't all of his teachings, and these aren't even all the teachings that connect him to the to the kingdom or about the kingdom, but uh, but they they all prove that make a connection between Jesus's authority in, as a teacher and. Um, and him being this king, this long, uh, sought-after, waited-for king. You know, the kingdom was Jesus's most frequent topic of teaching. It was also the, the content of the apostles' teaching, when Jesus would send them out, first the 72, and then the 12, and then later, after the day of Pentecost, he sends out uh, 120, and then that grows pretty rapidly. The content of their teaching, the content of their message was the kingdom uh, and so so this is good news this is this is a great thing the kingdom is finally here in the person of Jesus but there is a big big problem while Jesus was ministering for he he left earth he said something very interesting to uh, one of the Pharisees. Fellow named Nicodemus, and uh, this is this is what he said. He said, uh, "Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit." Now, if you're one of the Jews that's been waiting. Not just for decades, not just for years, not just for lifetimes. You've been waiting for centuries. Your family has been waiting for centuries for this just king to appear. Okay, you, you, got, you got to get your mind around. I mean, here, here in America, it, even if you faced challenges, even if you faced racial discrimination, in comparison to the Jews back then, we uh, what the the justice that we long for, the the fulfillment we long for it happens much more quickly and it can even happen in your own lifetime but for the jews back then they were waiting for hundreds of years for justice here's this guy says i am the just king but then he says you actually can't see it unless you're born again you you won't even recognize it's happening it's going to happen right in front of your face and you're not going to recognize it if you're not born again. And you certainly won't be able to enter into it. You're not going to access it. You're not going to be able to be a beneficiary of it. You're not going to benefit from this just kingdom. You're not going to be a member of it unless you're born again. Now, if, if if you're one of those Jews who's been waiting and longing for justice, and there's this built-up mounting grief over the lack of justice, and you've been oppressed by foreigners for hundreds of years, and even before that, you had terrible kings that were leading you astray. This is rather troubling news. Jesus said this is good news, but here he's also saying you can't even see it or enter into it unless you are born again. Now, this is not a sermon about being born again, um, what that means exactly. It means a lot of things. We could preach lots of sermons about that, so I'm not going to preach about that directly. And being born again is something that only God can do in you. I can't make you be born again. Um, uh, Your friend can't make you be born again. You can't even make yourself be born again, all right? And and this was such a confusing idea. The guy Jesus was talking to at the time, Nicodemus, he was like, wait, go back into my mother's, what? what? He was a grown man. You know, I don't think his mom would have been very happy about that idea. Um, I don't think anyone would have been very happy about that idea. So, um, uh, um, and yet, um, there, there are some things, even though we can't get our minds around what it means to be born again, even, even though God, it's something God does by his sovereign grace in your life. It's not something you can make happen. Um, Uh, There are, Jesus gave us four things in his teaching that he explained accompany this born-again experience, things that go along with the born-again experience. There's four things he identifies in his teaching that go along with being born again. So I'm going to explain a little bit what those four things are that accompany being born again. It's a good sign. If you wonder if you've been born again, if you're not sure about it, um, if, uh, you, th- these four things will help you kind of, it'll kind of be a sign to you, an explanation to, you. okay, this is what it means to be born again. All right, so but the first thing it, that uh, that it is, the first, the first thing that accompanies being born again is the oddest thing, and I'm going to take the longest time explaining it. It's the oddest thing because if you've been born in the 20th or the 21st century, which I think is everybody in this room, I don't think we have any 121-year-olds here, um, If you have been born in in this century or the last one, um, you won't get this, okay? It's not going to make any sense to you because of how history has changed. When Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, Jesus was using military invasion language, okay? The reason uh, we don't get this, here's some pictures of military invasions in the past, aren't they fun? Um uh the the reason we don't get this is up until World War 2 uh when one kingdom was going to invade another kingdom and it was pretty uh clear who was going to win the fight it, it was pretty clear the invading kingdom was going to win before they invaded they would send messengers ahead and they would say, and the messengers would go around and spread the word to all the people living in the kingdom that was about to be invaded, and say they would tell them, "It the time has come, switch your political loyalty, and trust that the new king is going to take care of you and give you justice, okay? So they would go around and say, you know, knock on doors, go in, throughout the towns, um, go all up and down the highways and byways of the kingdom that was about to be invaded, and they would say, the time's about to happen. Switch your political loyalty and uh, trust that this new king who's invading is going to take care of you and is going to give you justice. All right? That was the language that Jesus was using. And if you were a first-century Jew, if you were first-century almost anybody, you would have recognized this as the language of military Invasion. All right. Now, this is this is really important to get your brain around that Jesus was using this language of military invasion. Um, uh, now, think about what the uh, the invading king and his messengers were asking the people to do. All right. They were asking them, switch your political loyalty. No longer be loyal and serve the old king. Instead, change your political loyalty so you will serve the new king. And you will look to him as as the one who's going to take care of you, as the one who is going to mete out justice for you. And and, and so there was this in-between time between when the uh, messengers went out and when the invasion came. And uh, the reason I said it lasted up until World War II is because World War II, was the, that was the time the, what the Nazis did that, and the Japanese did that was so shocking was they started invading without warning. And uh, that was one of the first times that had happened in military history. The, the reason the invading king wanted to warn everybody and give everybody an opportunity to switch their political loyalty was, you know, when they invaded a the land, they didn't want to just, uh, they, they, when, they, when they came in, they didn't, they didn't want a, a bunch of dead people, dead bodies they had to clean up, They wanted people they could tax. They wanted people uh, who were already producing things. They wanted people who were already farming. Um, They wanted people who were already making things. And so they wanted to give everybody a chance to switch their political loyalty. Okay? So when Jesus says, um, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, um, the people at the time would have recognized... The the second thing Jesus adds on to that, and that's when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So that's, again, that's the language of military invasion. What Jesus was saying when he said, repent and believe the good news, was he was saying, switch your political loyalty from this current kingdom. And he wasn't just talking about the Romans, he wasn't just talking about Herod. Switch your political loyalty from this current kingdom to the new king who's coming. Switch your political loyalty. And I want you to think a little bit about what that would mean for, in, 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 a, in a regular military invasion, imagine the awkwardness of living in that in-between time, okay? You're not really sure the day or the moment that the invasion is actually going to happen, but you need to live as though the invasion's about to happen any minute, and you need to be ready for it. And you need to kind of have proof when the invasion comes that you have been loyal to the new king, that you have switched your political loyalty. I see just a couple heads nodding, and that's encouraging, but I should see more heads nodding because this is, you guys, this is so deep and so important for your faith. You should probably, the wheel should be turning right now. What does this mean for my conversion? What does this mean? Uh, I, I said earlier, this is a sign of, this is one of the things that accompanies being born again, being born of water and the Spirit. It's this idea of repenting oops, and believing. Um, the idea of uh, switching your political loyalty from, the, from this age, from this world, from serving uh, the powers and principalities of this life and switching it to the new king and living as if the invasion could happen at any moment. And when it does happen, there needs to be some proof that you've been serving and living for the new king. All right, she's, a couple more heads nod, but only a couple. I need, I need, to, see, I need to see a bunch, you guys, because this is so important for your faith. Um, all right, so this is, uh, this is one of the things, I said there were four things that accompany being born again. I, I Nobody can make themselves be born again. It's something God does by his spirit. It's a supernatural work. But there's four things that accompany Being born again. This first thing is repenting and believing, switching your political loyalty. And I and I am using the word political. I keep saying that over and over again. Okay. And I'm using it partly because this is this uh, very intense political season in America right now. Um, I'm not referring so much to American politics as much as I'm referring to um, what is commanding the highest loyalty in your life. Is it American politics? That's not what God has called us to. God has called us to switch all of our political loyalty to the new king. What what else could be commanding your highest political loyalty? Could it be your own uh, your own pleasure, your own fulfillment, living to fulfill, to live a fulfilling life? Could it be one of the idols we've named in uh, in in recent months? We talked about uh, the idol of sex, the idol of uh, money, the idol of power. Could it be one of the many other hundreds of idols that are crowding in your heart um, uh, and vying for attention, vying for loyalty? Um, uh, So this first thing that accompanies being born of water and the Spirit is repenting and believing. Switching your political loyalty and then trusting that this new invading king is going to take care of you. This new invading king is going to give you justice. The justice you've been longing for, the justice your family's been longing for, the justice your people have been longing for for centuries and centuries is coming from this new invading king. All right, that's the first thing it means. The second thing that Jesus said accompanies entrance into the kingdom of God. It's very interesting. And that's when he said, become... As a lowly child. Now, this is interesting. This I want to I want to explain this a little bit because Christians are terrible at sentimentalizing this idea. What we mean when when I say sentimentalize is that we'll take this idea of becoming a child and we say, you know, children are just so sweet and and so innocent and and uh, just so cute and 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 they just believe everything and their hearts are so open and and so when it when when I want to become like a child, it just means sort of have my heart open. And that's not what this means. That's not what the kids are cute, but guess what? They're sinners. If you have one, you know, okay? <clears throat> um, what this, what, when Jesus said this, children of his day had absolutely no status. Children of his day, it didn't matter if they were born to wealthy parents, they had no status. They were lowly people. They weren't even considered second-class citizens. They weren't even third-class citizens. When Jesus said that people need to become as lowly children to enter the kingdom of heaven, he was saying they need to strip themselves of their status and come to Jesus, come to the new just king, the new invading king, as a lowly, statusless person. Now, in a a normal invasion, the the king, the invading king, wants people with a lot of status. The people that he wants to uh, switch their political loyalty are the people who have status, and so they can come and greet him and say, we have all this status, and the king's like, great, I don't have to start from scratch. Um, You're going to be in charge of this, and you're going to be in charge of that. Um, But Jesus was unlike that invading king. Jesus, the invading king, wants statusless people. And that's because, when we are statusless, then we can let him raise us up to the status he wants to give us. That's unlike the status of the world. So, the second thing that accompanies entry into the kingdom of God is becoming as a lowly child. The third thing that accompanies entry into the kingdom of God is becoming poor. <clears throat> now, Jesus says it in a couple different ways. At one point, he says, become, become poor in spirit. And another time, he says, become poor in your goods. And the reason he told that particular person to give up everything was because that had become their idol. Um, that had become their chief idol. Um, and, and there are some of us in this room, in order to enter the kingdom of God, We even need to give up all of our goods. But all of us, no matter what, need to give up all of the goods in our heart, all the things that make us feel wealthy, that make us feel like we're something, that make us feel like we're important, that make us feel like we're in charge, and become poor in spirit. Now, in a normal invasion, the new king wants a bunch of rich people to switch their political loyalty, all right? He wants a bunch of rich people because he wants to tax them, all right? Like, yes, I got rich people, but not Jesus. The invading King Jesus wants poor people who come to him with nothing, nothing to tax. And the reason for that is that he can demonstrate, says, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one, that, uh, God, that we are trophies of the grace of God, and God wants to reveal to the world his gracious generosity by, by bestowing his grace on poor people, on people who have nothing. Um, and so this third part of entering the kingdom of God is to become poor. For sure, poor in spirit, and if necessary, poor in goods. And I, I can't decide for you who that is. Those You know, though, if there's something that you have that's hindering you from entering more fully into the kingdom of God. And the fourth thing that Jesus said accompanies entering the kingdom of God is somewhat similar to the third thing. It's a little different, though. And that's where Jesus said, sell everything you have for it. Now... I don't want to preach works righteousness because that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, When I say sell everything, it may or may not mean selling everything. There have been Christians throughout history who have literally sold everything. That may or may not be what you're called to do. But I do know that every single Christian, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, has to transfer the ownership of every single thing you have To the new king you do need to give up everything and make him the owner and the master and the lord of everything you have and that's for all of us whether or not it means literally selling everything and uh but either way all of what we own Needs to be transferred to a new owner. Needs to be transferred to the new king. So <clears throat> these are four things that Jesus said accompany being born again. And so if you're wondering, am I born again? Have I been born again? And, and, uh, and, and, and it's a natural question to ask, even if you've been raised in the church. Even if you feel like, well, I prayed this prayer one time, or I went forward at an altar call one time, or... Um, uh, you know, even if those things have happened, if you can't see the kingdom of God, if, if, uh, then it's very possible you haven't been born again. And I can't make that happen for you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that inside of you. But these are four things that Jesus said accompany being born again. Repenting and believing, switching your political loyalty to the, to the new invading king, becoming as a lowly child, becoming poor in spirit, and for some of us, if necessary, becoming poor in goods, and selling everything we have, transferring the ownership of everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is yet another problem, and that is not everybody knows about the invasion. So in the ancient world, when the king would send... Uh, his messengers you could only send a few because they had to sneak in or else they'd get you know chopped up um, uh, they would sneak in and uh, they would start spreading this news that the king was about to invade and uh the people but but then they had to rely on the people who had switched their political loyalty and had put their trust in the new king. He had to rely on them to start spreading the word there weren't enough initial messengers. To spread the word to everybody, uh, the system relied on the new, uh, the newly converted, the people who had newly switched their political loyalty. It relied on them to start telling their friends and their neighbors, "You guys, an invasion is about to happen. Switch your political loyalty now. There's still a chance. This new king, he's going to take care of us. He's going to administer justice. He's going to be fair. He's going to be equitable." He's going to provide for us. He's going to watch over us. He's going to protect us. Uh, He's going to do everything good for us. He's going to be so much better than this current king that we've got. And uh, it's going to be great, but switch your political loyalty now. We don't know when the invasion's coming. Do it now. Well, we're in the same in-between time that people throughout history have been, that in-between time when the initial messengers come and when there is Uh, when the actual invasion comes. And it's up to us, the church, to spread this message about the coming king. Well, what what about justice? I thought we were talking about justice. Uh, Now it sounds like you're talking about evangelism. Well, uh, there's this uh, quote I just find, I I can't, it's quote haunts me. Um, David Platt, a pastor here in America, he says, I am convinced that the greatest social injustice in our day is the reality that about 2 billion people still have never heard of the redeeming love of Christ. If we're thinking about it this way, if we're, if, we're, if we're paying attention to Jesus the way that the first century paid attention to him, and we recognize the language of military invasion that Jesus is using, and we recognize that our justice is ultimately going to come from the just King all right, you guys see the logic I'm, I'm moving us towards here, then it is important, it's not just important, it's critical, it's essential that we take up that message and we share it with other people, with our friends, with our relatives, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. They need to know about the invasion. And they need to know... That the just King, who's coming, is going to take care of them. This just King is going to administer justice. You and I are longing for so there might be you might have a coworker, a friend, or a neighbor, especially someone who is coming from a non-majority group that has faced uh, injustice in their lives, and maybe their their family and generations before them have been facing the same injustice for a long time, and they're longing for justice, they need to hear that the just king is going to take care of them, and the just king is going to administer that justice for which they are longing. And they need to switch their political loyalty. That is when they will see the kingdom of God. If if they haven't switched their political loyalty yet, if they haven't become as a lowly child, if they haven't become poor, if they haven't sold everything for Christ, all those things that accompany being a born again, they're not going to see the kingdom of God. They're not going to see it coming. No wonder people are hopeless today. No wonder people are despairing today. No wonder people are in angst at how it feels like the world is crumbling around them. And it's not just here in America. All over the world, people feel like the world is crumbling before their very eyes. We need to hear that the just king is coming. And in order to see it happening, we need to switch our political loyalty. God, fortunately, by his grace, has given us three things to make that actually effective. So we're not just, when we say words, they don't just float away in the wind. God has given us power, supernatural power starting on the day of Pentecost, the same authority with which Jesus spoke, the same power that Jesus tapped into when he was raised from the dead. That same power dwells in the people of God. And when we share the message, power accompanies it. Um, It could be, uh, the power could, you know, work miracles. um, It could... But it definitely transforms lives. It changes things. That power is available for, uh, for us when we share this message. God isn't just sending us as messengers into just a slaughter. God is sending us with power. Another thing that God accompanies uh, us is practice. Uh, nothing persuades people to switch their political loyalty and trust in the new king more than practical, loving behavior of the people of God. Uh, miracles can be explained away. Transform, powerful transformations can be explained away. Uh, but what can't be explained away is the loving behavior of the people of God. When God sees people, when when, when sorry, when the world the people who haven't aren't convinced yet to switch their political loyalty. When they see us living as though this coming king is actually the real thing, that's what persuades them. Oh, wow! They are they're they're brave. They actually walk into places that have the coronavirus and start uh, ministering to people who've got the disease. They're actually care for the people who are the most downtrodden and the most. Uh, Marginalized, they actually advocate for people who don't have a voice. Um, what Sam and Josie are doing, uh, where they're going to advocate for the Rohingya, um, they're 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 going to be surrounded by non-Christians, but they're going to see this couple and a few other Christians that they work with working to advocate for the Rohingya people, which arguably are the most oppressed people in the world currently and they might not even like the Rohingya people, but they're going to see the love of God emanating out of Sam and Josie, that is going to be persuasive and convincing for people to switch their political loyalty. That's going to to persuade the Rohingya, who nobody has cared about ever in history, to actually have people care about them. That is going to persuade Rohingya people to switch their political loyalty to the new king and believe in him. So, power, practice, and proclamation. There is a verbal component to sharing this message with people. You know, everybody likes to quote the famous Francis of Assisi quote, which is actually apocryphal. We're not even sure he said it, but, you know, it's this quote. It says, uh, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Okay, I got the spirit behind that. The spirit behind that is, you know, everything in your life should be preaching the gospel it's a good it's a good message. The problem with that, it's a little bit like saying, feed the hungry always, if necessary, use food. Okay, you guys get the problem with that? Okay. <clears throat> there is a verbal component to sharing the gospel, sharing this good news about the coming invasion of the king. And you know, <clears throat> hey, I, I get it. I I I understand that it's it's fearful, it makes us tremble, it worries us. Some of us aren't very good at it. There's a few people who are really bad at it and probably shouldn't even be saying anything. <clears throat> um, just keep loving people. That's fine. Just keep your mouth closed. That's fine. But <clears throat> either way, there is a verbal component, and we need to em- embrace that. Uh, that if, if, if you're bad at saying this, take bring friends, invite friends to Alpha. Alpha has got all three of these things. Uh, it's got the practice. It's got the proclamation. It's got the power. Many people in this room have been touched and blessed by Alpha in one of these three Ps, power or practice or, or proclamation. Um, invite people to Alpha. It's starting this Wednesday. This is an amazing opportunity. Go to Alpha yourself if you're not convinced. Um, so um, what we're going to do now is we're going to we're going to sing a hymn. And if uh, Miss Annette could, and anyone who's coming on the worship team could come on up. We're going to sing a hymn. It's hymn number 349, and you can open up to it right now. Um this hymn that we're going to sing is, we're, we're going to sing it like a prayer, okay? We're going to sing it like a prayer, and uh, um, we're, we're going to actually, in your heart, we're going to be praying this, uh, that uh, in, in, in the hymn, it's, it's asking God for, uh, it, it starts out, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. We're begging God that more people will hear the good news of switching their political loyalty and trusting in the new king. And uh, and that, that's what this song, it was really originally designed as like a, a prayer for that purpose. So we're going to sing it through together, and then I've got a little, we're going to do kind of an altar call thingish after that. So wherever Miss Annette is, let's uh, take it away. So here we go.
2: triumphs of his grace my gracious master and my God assist me to music
1: So, if you, I, I I hope you're able to pray this. I hope this became a prayer of yours. Um, if you know it is time to switch your political loyalty from this world to the new invading king, I I do want you to come down over here and uh, there will be some people who pray for you. Um if you know it's time, and, and maybe you kind of thought you did or you weren't sure, or maybe, uh, maybe you prayed a prayer, but you know in your heart you haven't switched your political loyalty, or you, you, you haven't lived as if the new invading king is actually coming, or you uh, haven't given everything, you haven't transferred ownership of everything over to the Lord. Um, you haven't become poor in spirit. You haven't yet um, given everything to him. Uh, now is the time. Now is the day. To do that, we're going to come over here uh, for that, um, and and myself and Sherry and a few other people are going to pray for you. If um, uh, if you need empowerment from the Holy Spirit to proclaim and practice uh, the the this gospel, so that we can be persuasive to the people around us, um, uh, come on over here, and um, people will pray for you. Now, if you if you don't want a person to pray with you, that's fine. Um, you can either just kneel right up front here and we'll know, leave you alone, or you could just pray in your seat. But um, in, in the, over this, uh, as we, we uh, sing these songs, these next few songs, now, now is a time of, of decision. So uh, I'm, I'm just gonna uh, pray for us um, and uh, this'll, people are uh, released to go or now is the time to come. So Heavenly Father, I just want to ask, God, would you empower us to proclaim this message, to switch political loyalties, and to believe, to trust in the new just King? Empower us for that, Lord God. Use our hands, use our feet. May the love of God pour through us so that this world that can't see the kingdom coming, Lord, that they could see it. They could be born again and could see it. And Lord, for those of us here who have not yet switched political loyalty, Lord, I I ask work by a miracle of your spirit in our hearts, press on people to come now and to switch their political loyalty, not wait another day for the invasion that could happen at any moment. Lord, have mercy on us. And may, when we leave, when it's time to leave, may we go with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim this good news May we go with the fellowship of the Lord Jesus who is with us always. May we go under the rule of the Father who governs all things. In Jesus' name.
0: I just want to extend this invitation because um, some of you might be thinking, oh, I did that once. But some of you are also saying, but I don't know if all of my loyalty is really there. I, you know, I, uh, I'll tell you what, this morning I got up early and I was going to read my Bible and you know what I did? I looked at the news. I think my loyalty isn't entirely depending on Jesus to do things. And uh, some of us, not just political loyalty, economic loyalty, where you're going to get your love from, where you're going to get everything that you need, provision, protection, everything. Are you really depending on the invading king? Now, this is uncomfortable when you're living in the other kingdom because the people around you might get upset that you're disloyal to all the things they're loyal to. So I want to just invite you. Maybe you have committed your life to God, but you realize, yeah, but there's that part of my life that I'm still depending on some other king, some other power, something else that's going to take care of me, that's going to provide for me, protect me. So I just want to extend this invitation so that it's not like, well, I think I did that once. But if you have something you need to turn... Um, I want to invite you as well, okay? So come on up if you want to pray about those things.